This is Purple Radio On Demand. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the B Film Spot podcast. We are the oldest student run cinema in Durham and we're also the cheapest. And today I'm joined by my delightful co-host Jonathan. Hey! Um, no Frezzle Dezzle because she's busy doing something else. I don't know, she hasn't told us. But today we'll be discussing our most recent showing, The Kingsman. And we'll also be discussing uh, war films, good and bad. Although we found that it was quite difficult to think of bad films. So uh, we've got a bit creative. And we'll also be discussing spy films as well. Good spy films, bad spy films, not just James Bond. And then we'll give a shout out to our showing next week of Nightmare Alley. Is there anything you want to say before we start? Yeah, I just want to congratulate all the new exec. We've had, we had our AGM on Wednesday and Woo! congrats to all the new people. We love you. Not us. Yeah, we're we, leaving. We're, Sometimes. We're gone. But maybe, yeah. maybe you'll take over the podcast. But anyway, onwards to Kingsman. What were your thoughts, Jonathan? It was fun. <laughs> it wasn't gr- It was not a great film, but it was, a, it was fun. It was fun. Like, I think the Rasputin uh, scenes were good. Reese Ivins clearly had a lot of fun there. I thought some of the Wash scenes were well shot and well filmed. There was bits where I was like, okay, this scene isn't necessary. It's just dragging. And it's just... The film was two hours 11. It's way too long for an action film. It should be 90 minutes. There's a lot that could have easily been cut out. And that wasn't my main thoughts. It was just too long. Yeah, I agree. I think the Rasputin sequence is all funny and well shot and like really felt the most Kingsman-y of all yes. of them and while a change in tone isn't the worst thing it's obviously that it's obvious that they tried to like pivot away from the Eggsy series so maybe like because um, Tyrion Edgerton can't do it forever um, so they tried to maybe start a new franchise here I don't think it's necessarily worked out for them but yeah I just think in doing that it sort of lost what made it so enjoyable in the first place and it was just it lost that sort of fun aspect for me for me it was really boring um, and it was just those odd sequences that really like kept me engaged and I just figured that it felt as if it was smarter than it was just because it referenced moments in history like just because you referenced things that happened during World War One, and you've referenced a Wilfred Owen poem does not make you smart and does not mean that what you're making is engaging also as well I think some of the performances weren't the best as well I mean, Reese fans was good, obviously. Mm. And, and you know what? I wasn't too sold on um, main guy. Well, fines. Yes, refines. Because, I mean, I just thought, which is, which is odd, because I never really get this with him, but I saw Voldemort the entire time. Uh, no, really, because I, I, thought, I thought he gave a good performance. I thought he really carried the film along. I think he does carry the film, but it's just a bit... I don't know, when you compare it to Colin Firth... It was just a bit underwhelming. I don't know. I mean, Colin First character is much more like engaging, and it's like, like I said, the tone's a bit different. It's, he's given a bit more like to do. But yeah, overall, I think just a bit disappointing. Well directed in places, but yeah, forgettable. Better than uh, worse than the first Kingsman. Better than the second one, I'd say. Oh, I don't know because the second one's bad, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think I think worse we, yeah in mm. the trilogy. Oh no, but there's a scene in the second one which is just. It looks awful. It's the scene right at the beginning in the taxi, and it just it just looks like it's. I think it's genuinely the worst scene I've ever seen because it's just it looks so fake. It looks gross. I don't mind. It's such a big budget thing, and it just looks so even even Eggsy looks CGI. It's just weird, and it's it's not it's not stylistic. It's just horrible. Yeah, but yeah. But what about the MCU style post credit teaser? Um. Yeah, we have a big bad on it on our way. No spoilers. <laughs> it was just like I like. Surely not. No, no, no. They're gonna no. Have, they're gonna have to unite the statesmen and the kingsmen to beat this big bad. What is it? Infinity. <laughs> He's gonna collect the Infinity Stones. What, what would you even call it? Like Kingsman Infinity War. <laughs> Kingsman World War Two, I suppose, is more appropriate, yeah. but He's like, fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> 
you're, I mean, if you do get to watch Kingsman 2, it's, you know what? People said it was silly. I think it was worth it. It was worth me seeing through those two hours and 15 minutes for that end credit scene. Me I mean, or just go in Disney Plus and watch that little bit. To be that honest. is true. Oh, to be fair, I feel like it was just like, I was so bored, and then that, just to get that at the end, it really just it perked me up, I will be honest. But anyway, as we discussed, Kingsman is sort of a war slash spy film in this one. So we figured it'd be it'd be nice to watch war slash spy films. So, what is your favourite war film? Go, go, go. Well, I'm going to kick off with some World War One films. I'm going to go um, Paths of Glory by Stanley Kubrick. Oh. It's about... Um, they don't go over the top. A whole platoon dis- or group disobey orders. And then, to make an example, the higher-ups... It's in the French army, and the higher-ups basically pick three people at random and say these people are going to get um, court-martialed and executed. And then the... Uh, the general or whatever played by Kirk Douglas is trying to now the, the plot is he's trying to stop them from being killed because it's not their fault and it kind of it's pointless like oh these people refuse to get killed by you so you're going to kill them anyway and like well that's kind of yeah. and then like, it's all about that and the war scenes in that are like yeah it's not it's not a fun film but is it based on a true story at all? I think it's loosely based on a true story but also kind of based off a book. Yeah. I'd say, I mean, I've got three fairly random films like for this because I tried to go a bit creative, but my traditional war film, which is still a bit untraditional, is uh, Jojo Rabbit. Um, I I was I was going to say it anyway, but I rewatched it recently, which is also why it's on the mind. I think it's just done so well. Um, I think Taika Waititi does a great job playing uh, a little boy's imaginary friend, Hitler. And it's just, I think it's... It's the, it really has that great balance between comedy, but also when things get serious, it doesn't shy away from that as well. Um, some of the scenes with Scarlett Johansson um, in particular speak to that, no spoilers. But um, yeah, and I think it hits where it needs to hit and it makes you laugh at points. And I don't know, it does a good job at just remembering why these things were so serious, but laughing at it and make, like reducing it so it wouldn't happen again in that sense. Yeah. Like, we can laugh at it now, or laugh at elements of it now, as a sort of way to sort of, like, make sure we don't go there again. Like, mm-hmm. keep it in humour, not in reality. But yeah, I think Jojo Rabbit's great. And the visuals of it are amazing as well. Well written, looks great. Yeah. Well directed, great acting. Rebel Wilson's actually great in that as well. Yeah. I don't think, I think that might be the best work she's done. Like, she's normally really finding that funny. Yeah. But anyway. Do you have another film? They're going to do with They Shall Not Grow Old. It's uh, the Peter Jackson documentary about... Um, oh, documentary. Yeah. A documentary. The, one of the only documentaries I've ever watched. But yeah, it's about the First World War and basically he... They basically... They recolorized it. They spent years and years and years recolorizing and restoring all this old footage. So it starts off in black and white and then there's like one shot of these guys which slowly merges into colour. And then like most of the documentaries in colour. And it sort of... It takes... The feeling you get when you see like videos from World War One or just pictures of the trench and stuff, and it really elevates them to be way more realistic because they're way more believable in colour. And you go, "This is incredible!" Like that does sound quite impressive, actually. Yeah, and it took them it took them so long to do. Like I'm sure they were like they fa- they got the footage like a decade before the film came out, something ridiculous like that. Well, it's like how films try and recreate the past and like especially modern films where it is in colour it, like it does I suppose a job it can do but with sort of like a documentary in colour of actual footage from the war like that is something that's quite impressive I will say 
although onto one of my more unconventional picks, I'll go for um, Pan's Labyrinth. Um, yeah, that's Smash Civil War. Yeah. Magical realism, good fun from Guillermo del Toro. It's fun. Yeah, there's like a fawn in it, and there's like magical mm. frog, and it's there's fun. fairies, and there's nice dinner party. And there's like awful <laughs> humanity is awful. Humanity is awful, but future generations aren't, and that's what Ophelia stands for. Big up Ophelia. No, it is great, and I think it. Um, it's interesting because we can look back at that now from like our well, well from a 2000s perspective and you know make a film that I think was quite relevant then but also obviously speaking to things in the past which I think is quite cool. And yeah, I just I think I there's something I do love about Guillermo del Toro even though some people may not like the shape of water and stuff like that is that he always sort of sticks true to what he like he loves doing monster films and I think that's really nice that even all the films that he's sort of been recognised for by the Academy, he's always um, he's not had to change his sort of style for that, which is also quite cool. But just because it's a film about monsters doesn't mean it should it shouldn't be taken seriously. Speaking of um, war through a child's eyes, as you have done with both of both of yours, even yeah, uh, I'm going to go come and see. It's a Russian film. It's about uh, a child who joins up, and, it, and then he just because he wants to join, and then he just sees all these horrors of war. He goes home, his village has been destroyed, he moves on, he goes to his village and there's this horrendous sequence where they're rounding people up and like putting them in a building oh. to like set it, set it alight and kill them all. And it's and then it's all told through the child's perspective and like, there's a really close up of his face, just of the horror on his face as all this unfolds and it's it's really not very fun. Is it hard to sit through? You think? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's not an easy watch. It's not for the faint of heart. But I think, in a way, sort of like like Schindler's List, it's a very good film and it's hard to watch. But it's so powerful as a movie, you can't help but appreciate it. Even if you don't, you're not meant to like it, but it's impossible to not appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Although something that. Like we discussed, like before the podcast was like it was really difficult to come up with like bad war films. I think it's it's such it's hard to come up with bad war films because it's such a sensitive topic that I think people won't really like it if you try and if you do make one and it doesn't really work, you'll get a lot of hate for it, and it's quite a risky thing to do. So I think you've got to really have your head screwed on to be able to make one. Like, because you can like I mean the reason I bring it up is because obviously you talked about like Schindler's List and is it what's it called? Come come and see. Come and see. I feel like with like war films, it's either you like really think it's really well made and you do like it, or it's sort of like you don't like it, but it, you agree it's well made. It, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. That? So, I mean, Kingsman is obviously the exception. Not, again, but it's not, <laughs> not a proper. It doesn't really film. focus on the war. So I think that's the difference. And again, the war sequences are the things we were praising. Exactly. Like it's, I think right. it's difficult to mess up the war, and if you think you are going to, I don't think you will. You, like. I don't think I think you have to be quite a certain level of director to tackle a war film. Yes, because of just the budget of it as well. Mm. But moving on to bad war films, unless I you have, I've got, do you, have do you have more. one more? Go on. I've got two more actually. Go on, shout so, out. So slightly more unconventional ones. I've got um, Land of Mine, um, which is a foreign language film about after the end of the war, there was a lot of mines left on the beaches, mm-hmm. and basically they got all these these like young soldiers who were like prisoners of war, and illegally. They basically, they basically like forced them to basically sweep the beaches, and it's a story about all. It's like a dozen, basically children, 
who are basically forced to completely, there's like thousands and thousands of mines on this one beach and they've got to sweep them. Some of them don't make it and it's not very fun. It was nominated yeah. for foreign language Oscar. What year? 2016. It's a very recent though. Yeah, it's quite recent and it's, it's yeah, it's re- it, that's really good as well and it's a bit, yeah. And then also The General, the Buster Keaton film. In a completely different shift of tone, we'll go back to the Civil American Civil War. He's a uh, Confederate, and he ends up... He's a train driver. Well, he's not really... Con- he's a train driver. He doesn't want to sign up, or he's not allowed to sign up. And he ends up going on this train, chase, uh, chasing down these people that have like, stolen stuff. Obviously, it's full of great slapstick. And then, as in all of his films, he manages to save the day. He gets the girl. He, get, he becomes a hero. Although he's a Confederate, so boo. Boo. Yeah, onto bad war films. I think we have the same one. I don't, and again, like, I don't think it's necessarily an awful film. Like, it's just quite boring and maybe just a bit too Oscar baity and not really substantial. And that is Darkest Hour. I do agree. It's, it's, it's just Gary Oldman in a fat suit going, Give me an Oscar. <laughs> I love how the, like, the slam was captured on the mic there. Like, it's just boring. Like, I remember, it. Like, there's so many awards films, like, for example, Judy, which don't make the best picture race, but, like, recognised for the performances, and I don't know why Darkest Hour is something different. Like, I don't... To be fair, this was the same year, I think, as The Post, which is also yes, just, like... The same year as Dunkirk, as well, which is a good war film. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, Dunk... I considered... I, did, I was considering any Dunkirk, but I was like, I don't really have... Like, I don't like the editing in it. I think it won for editing, actually, but... But anyway, that's just I don't like the three different sort of times that they that, go on. That, yeah, that. It's just very confusing. But yeah, Darkest Hour. I just like it's just a story that's been done so many times. I mean, was it the fact that it was just like? I mean, for me, maybe it was for this film. Maybe it was the fact that in America they don't really know that much about Churchill, and this was like some like groundbreaking film for them. I don't know. Obviously, did about the BAFTA. It's not a bad performance, but then I think that's it. I think that's all I have to say about this film. No, I think it was. I think the main thing was it was look how good Gary Oldman is, and once you get that, and once he's solidified as he's winning Best Actor, it sort of just gets pushed into the Best Picture category. Kind of like when Sandra Bullock won for The Blind Side, that managed to get a Best Picture nomination, and it sort of just gets swept up in the acting stuff, and then it doesn't really matter what the quality of the film is. Yeah, maybe. maybe. To be fair, the act- actors make up the largest voting block in the Academy. Yeah. So maybe that's what, what, what works in its favour. I, I, don't, I don't have anything more to say. Do you have another film? Really unconventional. Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Oh. It's a war film. It's got the word war in it. That's genius, Jonathan. Yeah. Tell us more about Rise of Skywalker. And also, why Rise of Skywalker and not one of the other ones? Rise of Skywalker because it decides to completely ignore The Last Jedi. And it goes... The Last Jedi goes... Ray is a nobody, and then that's that's his point. The point is, Ray is a nobody. In episode nine, they're like, by the way, she's not. <laughs> and like, it's kind of like, it's, and and then there's all these plot elements that just don't work, and it just seems really thrown together. And I guess it is because J.J. Abrams wasn't given the full trilogy; he was only given seven and nine. Well, they didn't have a plan, didn't they? No, yeah, they, and I just. I actually quite like The Last Jedi. I think it's interesting. It does it does something different. But and the Rise of Skywalker goes, you know what, we don't care we don't want to do anything different. We, we wanna just remake the most generic Star Wars film ever. And then throwing all these plot devices in, like 
Poe randomly having a girlfriend, and also also the fact that Disney listened to all the um, you know the trolls on Twitter who hated on um, it Rose T on Rose, yeah. And then, so they basically wrote her out of it just because the right wing tro- trolls were like, "We don't like it because they're racist." And you kind of just go, "It's just all these decisions." And you just go, "I just don't know why they did it." Any of them? Yeah, this all. I mean, with the Poe Dameron thing, it was like there was sort of a lot of chatter at one point that I think Poe like like Finn or something. No, I mean that was the thing. Poe and like Oscar Isaac has explicit explicitly stated that he was purposely flirting yeah. as Poe with Finn. And Disney didn't want that, so they crowbarred in some random girl, and and they've got a girlfriend for Finn as well. And then they there's a neo-Nazi with Kylo Ren, who they sort of oh look, it's okay, he's he's forgiven because he's in love with Ray. And you're like, oh, just stop, just please, just stop. Do you just, know what? <sighs> controversial opinion, and this is quite controversial. Last Jedi, bad Star Wars film, not bad film. I think it's not a bad Star Wars film. It does something different. It's like it's not. It's just, not it's bad not, in the sense yeah. that it's not in. It doesn't fit in. Like it's. I think the fans weren't happy with it, and that's it, yes. But it could have fit in if Episode Nine had made it fit in. But because Episode Nine ignores it, it re, it's just it seems really out of place. I mean, it's ignored because people weren't happy with it, though, wasn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, even even I, a fan of the Last Jedi, cannot uh, yeah. stand by. And they did they did silly things like kill off certain characters and then when certain tragic death happens by the third one they've none of the original trilogy cast members left mm. but yeah although t- to be fair good war film Rogue One yeah I think that might be my yeah. favourite of the spin-offs or any of the recent Star Wars films it might be, any, it might be my favourite Star Wars film oh controversial that is no, episode 2 the, uh, Attack of the Clones obviously oh yes that fight on Geonosis what about Phantom Menace no, I bad, love the pod bad, race. Bad, bad, the bad. pod race. To be fair, I'm a really bad Star Wars fan. I do not know them well enough to yeah. be quite yeah. on this. Anyway, moving on to spy films. Um, yeah, do you have no other bad film, war films? No, I've heard Pearl Harbor's not great, Michael Bay yeah, film. Yeah, I've heard but that. Again, that might be the exception of what we were saying earlier about there being no bad, <laughs> bad actual war films and, you know... It's Michael Bay, so it's probably saw a lot of explosions, but again, never seen it. maybe maybe it's a masterpiece. I've never seen it. It's like we were it, saying it won it, it won an Oscar. So does that feel like visual effects? Uh, something or sound or one of them. I mean, to be fair, I was sort of saying that you have to be a director of a certain caliber. Michael Bay is definitely not that. But anyway, um, bad. I mean, good, good spy films. Good spy films. Good spy films. This is one I think you agree with. Um, I put North by Northwest because I'm a pretentious film person. I love North by Northwest. It's, it's great, though, so, isn't it? So good. Alfred Hitchcock. Um, yeah, it just follows the story of what George Kaplan, um, who is mistaken. Wait, no, story of Roger Thornhill, who's mistaken yes. for spy George Kaplan, and shenanigans ensue, and then Roger Thornhill then steps up and becomes the man we knew he always was very funny film <laughs> it's very funny and well sure I mean I love the opening sequence with the um, skyscrapers and the windows yes yes yes, um, yes and the cheeky Alfred Hitchcock cameo where he gets shot out by a bus at the beginning of the film mm. is quite fun and yeah it's just like it's just such good fun I mean the relationship with um, Eve Kendall is a bit <laughs> silly and you know there is a queer coding which is not good because it's negative but it's a negative mm betrayal but otherwise you know this film was made in the 50s it's fun yeah. I think it holds up quite quite well obviously the crop duster scene yes. is incredible I mean how did I forget that to be honest um, yeah. 
the bad guys are Mr. Townsend. Oh, that's not good. My thing. forefather. <laughs> and obviously, we all know the best thing about North by Northwest is it has the single greatest final shot of any film ever. <laughs> the train. The train. <laughs> it's it's just perfect. That ending is just perfect, and it's I don't want to say it, but it's oh, it's just so so good. That's funny. Oh, it, it's. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. I think it was the first Hitchcock film I've seen, and to this day, probably my favourite. To be honest, you probably just struggle to top it. There was also those equally good ones, but you struggle, you'll struggle to top that. Yeah, like I think it's. I mean, you know how much I love a genre film that is that is well directed. Mm. Means a lot to me personally. But um, do you have any particularly good? It's also kind of a war film, Cold War. You know, yeah, yeah. give a shout uh, out to Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Oh, tell us more. Gary Oldman is in this Gary film. Gary Oldman is in it, and he's really good in it. He was Oscar nominated. But he didn't win. But he didn't win. No. Didn't win. Yeah, John Le Carre novel, full of British people. Um, directed by Thomas Alfredson. Who did, has he done? He yeah. did Let the Right One In, the original one. Ooh. What's it about? Yeah, it's about a bunch of spies, and then there's like a mole, and then there's a lot of speak. It's, it's more subtle as a spy film, because instead of like high action sequences, there's a lot of kind of just like sitting around a table and all these tense discussions so it's a lot it's more a little low, low key in that sense and it's because obviously they're all middle aged men like Gary Oldman it was 20 it was 10 years 2011 so so he's not he's not wasn't a young he's not a young man he's not going to be jumping off buildings like Tom Cruise but yeah yeah. I'll take a quick detour before we go on to bad spy films do you have a favourite Bond film favourite Bond song Favourite Bond film on Her Majesty's Secret Service, the one George Lazenby won. Woo! He went to Durham. Yeah! Big up Durham! He had the best opening scene when he's just like, this never happens to the other guy, which is just really funny. And it's got the most tragic end to any Bond film, and it just is the best one, and Lazenby never gets enough credit for how good of a Bond he actually was, because he only had one film. So and everyone remembers like you know Craig Moore Connery the ones who had like six or seven, and Lazenby's just so underappreciated as a as a Bond, and you know every everything about it is just so good. I remember watching it, going, "This is really good." What about you? Would you have a Bond theme though? Oh, probably Goldfinger. That's a classic. It's a cl- obviously it's a classic. Goldfinger. Oh please sing, please sing all of them. Yes, man. You know what? If this gets above three streams. <laughs> no, <I'm not>. no. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite James Bond film See, and theme? I'm really, I'm really bad at remembering them because um, they come out so many years apart. I mean, I quite like Skyfall. Mm-hmm. I do. Okay. I feel like I really liked um, Casino Royale when I saw it, but I just don't remember it well enough to say it like concretely. Yes, fair. I mean, I don't remember liking Quantum of Solace. I think. I mean, I've only seen the Craig ones. If you've not, if you can't tell from my uh, <laughs> focus on the last like what ten years, but. Um, yeah, I think I think it's just Sam Mendes just does such a great, great job directing it, and to be honest, he does a great job directing Inspector as well. But I just think Spectre's just not as good a story. Loses its way in the third act, and you can sort of tell that Daniel Craig just didn't really want to do it. Yeah, I think my issue with Skyfall, I think kind of like Last Jedi, Skyfall is a good film. It's a very good film, but I think it's quite a bad Bond film. And I just think making it explicit that James Bond is a man rather than a code name and stuff like that, and I just didn't really, I don't know, I didn't really like it because I wanted a Bond film and I didn't get a Bond film. Whereas Spectre goes the way the other way and it's not a great film, but it does all the Bond stuff. Mm. But it just doesn't work as a film. And I feel like 
between Spectre and Skyfall, there is the best Bond film somewhere lurking from Sam Mendes, but it just, they just they never he never gets both of the, he never got both of them right at once. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. And um, I also think Judy Dench does a great job in it. Favorite Bond theme, I will say. I mean, Goldfinger's great, but um, I don't know if it's necessarily my favorite theme, but definitely my favorite like introduction to a Bond film. I love the writings on the wall from Spectre. I just think it's so nice. I knew you were going to say that. I've said, it, I've said it to you many a time, but just like the way the tentacles of Spectre sort of like works mm. its way around the intro and it's all inky and just very stylized. I think it's just a masterpiece. Anyway, moving on to bad spy films. Um, Cars 2. Oh, that's a great choice. I really the, the, the dirty stain on Pixar's filmography. Oh, it's just awful isn't it is Cars it? 1 is fine and it's wholesome and it's got it's the classic Pixar film of it's telling a classic story in some weird way with talking cars and then Cars 2 comes along and oh you know it's got great it's got Michael Caine in it being a spy and you're like yes and then you watch the film and you go no please and it's just I don't really know I can't remember much about it apart from there's some plot by the evil guys to blow up tyres in races and then Michael Caine thinks that mate is a spy and then tries to get him to help and he's like, I'm not a spy. And like, ah, you're not a spy. Haha, <laughs> great. And you're like, oh, just stop. I remember my sister watched about 20 minutes of it and then walked out of the room. She's like, I'm not watching this. I physically cannot watch this. It's too cringe. It's too painful for me to watch. It's just, who decided that when they watched Cars 2 to make Mater the... Um to give me to his own film, making the main character. Whoever decided on what toys to sell. The only reason Cars 2 exists is to sell toys of cars with missiles on them. To sell spy cars. That's yeah. literally the reason it exists. So it's just a massive cash grab. I mean, I've not seen Cars 3 because Cars 2 was too painful. Cars 3 is However, okay. I've heard that Cars 3 goes back more like Cars yeah, 1 and yeah. is okay. But it's just, I mean, Pixar should stop making sequels and make new stuff anyway. Yeah. Like they have, they have slowly done that, but like Toy Story Four isn't necessary. I've not seen it, but it's unnecessary. Incredibles Two, as much as I wanted Incredibles Two, it wasn't good enough to be worthwhile. I think Toy Story Four is quite good actually. Okay. Um, one thing I will say about Cars Three is um, there's the Queen in Cars Three, and there's a Prince William car, and this just poses the question: What happened to the Princess Diana car? No. <laughs> what happens to it? Because we don't talk about <laughs> the car, the cars universe history, because it gets very weird very quickly, and we don't we don't question it. Where did she die? Did she, did she die in a car crash? Is that a murder? We don't question. No, we don't. We do <laughs> not question. We don't question the cars universe history. Please, just leave that out. Well, anyway, bad spy film. Tenet. Yeah. Fair. The film spends too long trying to explain, like its premise even though you can't hear it anyway. And when you finally do watch it with subtitles and you do sort of know what's going on, it's just, like, it's boring. Just, what else is wrong with it? It's this, give me a moment. It's it's the sound. The, the, the bass is way too loud. Yeah. You can't hear anything. And it spends way too long in the first half setting everything, like, exposition. Yeah. It, it needed it. The second half is really good. But it just needs... It needed all the exposition, but the exposition just kind of drags the film out. And I think the issue was... Here we go. So, the difference between Inception and Tenet is that in Inception, Dom's the main character and he know, already knows all the information and he's passing it on to others. Whereas in Tenet, the main character is learning the information 
but he's learning it way too quickly because it's his natural gift the protagonist's natural gift that he can learn all this stuff yeah which means that we don't get time to process and understand it all in the same and then it's literally just somebody telling him this is what you do this is what you do and it's kind of like oh exposition whereas in inception when they go to the dream and then they start messing around with the world in like in the in paris with you know the mirrors scene where they make the endless um bridge that sort of you're learning visually and yeah. through through somebody playing around in sort of this like sandbox world whereas in tenet you're learning through somebody going oh okay so what you do now is if you step in here and it goes round you come out you're actually going backwards in time and then like you need to be careful because you can't breathe properly and everything's going backwards and then you're like oh no and it's just like even Kenneth Branagh's like bad guy like, I you know I've recently come around Kenneth Branagh as of, of having seen him Belfast but I just sort of watched it I was like you're not very believable as some evil mob boss are you like it's your terrible Russian accent yeah it's just like what are you going to do what yeah. are you going to do Kenneth nothing what I thought yeah but anyway that's that's my thing on Tenet to be fair I'm a bit jealous that you thought of Cars 2 that's such a good like bad spy film to choose from I think that's probably the best bad spy film to choose from yeah oh. I'm also gonna say Casino Royale from 1967 okay it's a spoof it's a, it's like a spoof Bond film it does actually follow the plot like having seen the Craig one first I was like this actually does follow the plot of Casino Royale but in a spoofy trashy way and it's 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 fun it is fun but it's also like two, it's like two and a half hours long or something ridiculous like that and you're like wait not, two and a half hours yeah a, a spoof film should be 90 minutes no more so, so that's getting old really quickly and then like between 60 and 90 minutes of spoof film and yeah it drags on and it has fu- it does have funny moments but a lot of the time you're just kind of like why does this exist I'm watching this I'm not going to turn it off because I've started it but it's objectively the worst Bond film but it's not really a Bond film I'll, I'll name one more before we round off and to be fair I don't really remember it that well but I just I've been told since that it's a bad film and I'm sure you've seen it too hopefully Spy Kids never seen Spy you've not seen Spy I've Kids I've not seen Spy Kids oh Spy Kids is I've not had a, I never had a childhood yeah, yeah you you watching Darkest Hour from day three yeah so sorry but um, no Spy Kids follows two kids whose parents turn out to be spies <gasps> It's not surprising. Do the, do the kids to become spies as well? The kids become spies. Oh. They become spy kids. Whoa. And there's weird clones of the kids who are robots, and there's a guy who has a kids TV show who takes people and messes them up and turns them into monsters. But it's just so fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so fun. I think Robert Rodriguez yeah. directs. Yeah. So I would watch it again. I'd watch it now, and I'm sure it'd be fun. Yeah. But yeah, it is probably bad. Maybe that's something for next week. To watch Spy Kids ahead of next week. But um, unless you have anything else to say... Oh, I will just make a, a parallel to Kingsman from Tenet of random Aaron Taylor-Johnson rocking up halfway through the film and then not doing anything. Yes. Because you see him in the cast list, you forget he's in it. He's there, you go, who's this guy? And then it takes you a minute to realise, oh, wait, it's Aaron Taylor-Johnson. Huh, hello. And then you go, oh, he's going to be a big character. No, he just, he just exists. He exists in Tenet just to, like, be a character at the end and he does exactly the same in The Kingsman and you kind of go have more Anthony Johnson I think my thing is because he's in he's in so many films but so little like I don't recognise him yeah. in films I think the only thing I really recognise him from is like Avengers um, Age of Ultron yeah. which is not really I don't think it's his biggest Again, role he's not really in that either yeah but uh, anyway so next week it'll be we'll, we'll have our new exec we'll shout him out maybe individually we'll see 
maybe one of them will be in the podcast. And we'll also be discussing our upcoming showing of Nightmare Alley. It's a good one. It is a good one. As I've, I've said before, visually it's beautiful. I genuinely Best Picture nominee as well. Yeah, Best Picky nominee. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Woo! Uh, <laughs> join, us, join us again next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Purple Radio Podcasts. Thanks for downloading this Purple Radio podcast. For more great content and to listen live, head to purpleradio.co.uk.